Thanks for joining us in another edition of Making Money. The financial coach, Ron Hebert, is standing by. Former portfolio manager, I'm Gord Whitehead, a retired broadcaster. Ron, this seems kind of timely given what's been going on here over the last couple of weeks. GameStop. Boy, this thing created a tidal wave of news and obviously a, a lot of serious waves in the markets. Well, you take a look at the company, and I used to take my kids down to GameStop all the time, and it's simply what they, what they do is they're uh, a retailer of uh, video and electronic games. And the stock has had a range over the last 52 weeks of $2.57 is low. Uh, it went over 500 uh, I calculated it at $483 was the high before it just bounced through it here recently. And if you go from 257 to 483 that's an 18,000% uh, increase in the price of the stock. So there's been a lot of volatility, and we want to unpackage this for everybody because this is a big story. They're going to end up making a movie about it for sure. And it's not just about the little guy against the big guy. We're talking about there's a plan here for smaller investors to go after the man, the big guy. And it, uh, you know, you've heard warnings that if we don't uh, deal with some of the discrepancy we have in incomes between the lowest and the highest, that there's going to be class warfare. And frankly, this might be a shot over the bow, and it's very, very worth paying attention to. And if you're an investor, you really need to understand what's going on right now. So let's let's boil it down. So what this started out with, the hedge funds looked at this stock and thought, well, people are downloading digital games now. They're not going into the stores. <clears throat> let's short the daylights out of this thing. That's basically what happened, right? They started shorting the stock, and then this group of people on Reddit went out and said, no, let's turn the tide here. Let's go the other way. Is that what it boils down to? That is what it boils down to. And so what the people on Reddit who represent small investors, this is a no commission a trading site called Robin Hood. And what they did was they went and looked at the most shorted stocks. In other words, the companies that had the biggest bets that the share price would go down and typically these bets are made by hedge funds. And they said, well, we're going to push it in the other direction. So we probably should stop here and explain what happens because when you short stocks, you're making a bet that the share price is going to go down. And technically what you end up doing is you end up borrowing stock from somebody else and paying them a fee to do so. And so if I borrowed a stock at $10 and then I sold it, I would put $10 in my investment account. Then if it dropped to 2 if that was my expectation, and I bought it back at 2 I would give the stock back to the person I borrowed it from with a small fee, and I would keep the $8 difference. Now, what happens is when you short a stock, you have the obligation to give that stock back to the person that you borrowed it from. And if you're shorting, you have unlimited loss. If I buy a stock at $10, it goes to zero, well, I'll lose 100% of my money. But if I bought, uh, if, if, I, if I shorted a stock at 10 and it went to a 1000 bucks, 
I'd be down $990. So your losses on the upside are virtually infinite. So this can be a very dangerous game. Now, the short squeeze is really what many of the Robinhood investors were trying to make happen. And the people giving advice on Robinhood said, look, this company has a huge amount of stock that's borrowed, not even owned, borrowed and sold. Now, to close their positions, they have to go in and buy it back. And this can result in a short squeeze. When you get all these people piling in all at once, desperate to buy their shares back and give them back to the people they borrowed them from because the share price is rising dramatically, people are trying to buy stock and they don't care what the price is. They want to get out. And really, that is what's happened here. The Robinhood investors have forced the people that are short the stock to go in and close their positions, buy them back. And that's created a huge amount of volume on the buy side. And of course, that's driven the stock up to catastrophic levels. And I must say, what it's also done is this week, I know of at least three hedge funds that were short GameStop that have gone under. And of course, Robinhood is now doing this with other highly shorted stocks. And silver is one. BlackBerry is another. And uh, certainly Hertz. And the list goes on and on. So they're targeting hedge funds. They're piling in. They're forcing them to cover. And they're forcing them to lose a lot of money. And that's the whole strategy behind this. And a lot of small investors are getting cocky because they've made a lot of money doing this. But the story doesn't end here because there's other actors getting involved. So it makes it even more complicated, Gord. So hedge funds have have had such clout over the last decade or so. I mean, I can remember, I never even heard the term hedge fund 20 years ago. They didn't exist, did they? Well, they did, but they were a very much smaller percentage of uh, the absolute marketplace. So uh, they were around, but they just didn't have the clout that they've developed over the last few years. And so they're getting a taste of their own medicine, some would say, right? (laughs) Well, certainly you had Occupy Wall Street after 2007, and many players on Wall Street had such egregious behavior, putting together mortgage pools and selling them to people, and they knew they were going to go down. And, and, you know, you get companies like Bank of America, and I'm not trying to use them as an example, but and pick them out to, or pull them out to just pick on them. But they had over $50 billion worth of fines. And what really insulted Joe Average was the fact that you had the markets really virtually wiped out by egregious behavior, greedy behavior, and no one went to jail. So you had a public uprising. They occupied Wall Street. They put tents. But that fizzled out. Now people are saying, well, look, We're going to get them where it hurts. We're going to get them in their pocketbook. And, of course, what happens here is Robinhood, for example, doesn't have a trading platform. They um, sell their orders to other trading firms and don't fill them themselves. Now, these other firms like Citadel, which is a big, big trading house, they they see this order flow coming in. 
And if they see a bunch of small investors rushing in, they also put their orders in. So what's happening is these people that are actually filling orders for Robin Hood, they're seeing what's going on when small investors are buying, when small investors are selling. So they're adding their wave of orders to it to profit in the move. And, of course, they are smart enough and have the technology that they can get out before the, the wave stops. And so this is really added to the volatility because you've had other firms piling in and knowing what's uh, going on. Robin Hood has had to restrict investors from buying shares because they're running into margin restrictions. People don't want to give Robin Hood or lend them shares to sell and they're requiring much, much higher fees, borrowing fees, up to 30 or 40% of the value of the stock. So Robin Hood has had to literally restrict investors from buying shares in these high-flying names like GameStop and has limited the number that they can purchase to a couple apiece, and there's lawsuits flying around. So this is a gray area as it decreases the volume traded, which causes the share price to fall. And, of course, the rumor mill is going around that Robin Hood is doing this because... Uh, they're being put on by the hedge funds and the mainstream investment community to uh, restrict the flow because it's wiping. So I don't think that's the case, but I think there's going to be a lot more of this happening. So, you know, when you've got gray area activity going on, like GameStop, uh, which is now ground zero, Two things you've got to remember. One is fear of missing out, called FOMO. And you're piling in because everybody else is piling in under the premise of what we call the greater fool theory, thinking that there's even a greater fool is willing to pay more than you did. So be very, very careful about right now because these are volatile, these are dangerous times. When you go on YouTube and you hear these people saying that they understand what's going on and they'll guide you through the trading process, don't believe them. This is, if you want to take some risks, then you've got to be very fast on your feet. But generally, people that get involved in this kind of trading activity, just like we saw in 1999, 2000, the end of the tech bubble, they end up getting hurt. This is really the Wild West of the markets right now, isn't it? <laughs> it's more than Wild West. It is crazy. Nobody's ever seen anything like this, I just where wanna, the little guy is taking on the big guy. I just want to go back, though, Ron. How is this working with silver? I don't, I, are they shorting? Were, were hedge funds shorting silver, and now they're trying to, and now these guys are trying to force the price up? That one kind of surprised me. Uh, silver metals. And the reason that silver is short is because it's more of an industrial metal than a precious metal. And, you know, I think there is going to be, I mean, my personal view is that over time, silver is going to go up just because of inflation, and it's because it's a metal that everyone can afford, and also there's going to be a lot more usage of it in the solar in that particular industry. So I think over time it's going to go up, but... You know, hedge funds don't think in months and years and decades. Hedge funds think of hours and maybe days. And so they're heavily short silver. And so the Robinhood traders have now turned their attention to silver and are, the fri are pushing the prices up 
And, of course, it doing the same thing as it did with GameStop, it's forcing the short sellers who had borrowed it, the silver, to rush back in and have to buy it, and that's popped the price up. I mean, uh, silver's trading at its highest level since 2013. So um, these are definitely crazy times where come, people aren't buying things based on their investment merit. They're buying them based on a get-even strategy, and I don't know if that's how I want to play the market. You know, I want to buy things that I think over time are going to grow nicely. Um, I'm not into the revenge trade myself. So conservative investors, the alarm bells are ringing, is what Ron is saying. <laughs> uh, totally. Just, yeah, approach with caution. Well, I think we I think we <laughs> gave everybody the background on what's going on, Ron. And I want to turn a, to, a, we've had a few questions over the last couple of weeks, and I, I think maybe we can spend a couple of minutes here and, and, and address those. Uh, we had here one uh, that said, I, I enjoy the podcast, appreciate the educational segments, which I'm passing on to my children. That's nice to hear. Since you offer to answer questions, I hope you can help in an area new to me. I've been reading about genome sequencing and how this is being used in the development of vaccines. This is the MSRA vaccines, I think. This whole area seems to be in the field of biotechnology. Could you, su could you suggest a biotech ETF that somebody could invest in or read the pick and shovel method? How would one find the name of the company that manufactures the genome sequencing equipment? Well, I think the easiest way for most people to play this sector is just by a biotechnology ETF. There's lots of them out there. The biggest one, the one with the most liquidity, is uh, the iShares Biotechnology ETF, and the symbol is IBB. I think that one's probably worth a look. Okay, let's move on to another one here. As I say, we had a few questions, and we always like to take care of them. Have a stock account, but trying to buy an internationally traded stock that I can't do online or through my regular broker. Wondering if you know how I could make this happen. The trade in particular would be on the Taiwan exchange. Well, typically many stocks that trade on Taiwan also trade on other exchanges in the region. For example, in Tokyo or Singapore uh -huh. or Hong Kong, which are much easier to trade uh, for North Americans. So check if they trade there first. The uh, second thing you want to look at, you want to see if the Taiwan stock has an American depository receipt. And so what that means is that it trades on the New York Stock Exchange, which makes it very, very easy to trade. Or some of the companies trade on what's called the pink sheets. They're sponsored by big American firms, and they make a market for them in U.S. dollars in the U.S. So looking at the pink sheets is another way and then if you can't find um, solutions with those answers, then what you'd want to do is just get on the phone and, and, and check around. I think the brokerage firm that probably has the most international setup right now would probably be HSBC. Uh, they trade in all kinds of currencies, and you'd probably be able to find someone in an investment firm like that who has the access to the Taiwan market who might be able to do the trade for you. But if you're doing uh, the trade on a small market, an out-of-the-way market, and you want all those shares directly, just a warning, it can be expensive. 
Okay, here's a question from Ken. Why are some stocks, such as Disney, on a rocket-like trajectory? Could it be caused by more people replacing spending with saving and investing, resulting in more demand for fixed universe of stocks? What's your opinion on that? I think that's exactly one of the, the major reasons, is that the government is pouring out money, and some of that money is finding its way into the hands of small retail investors, which in turn are investing in the stock market and pushing prices up. I think there's two other reasons. Number one, there's been a lot of merger and acquisition activity, which has taken companies that were public years ago, there were 4,000 listed stocks in Canada, now there's 3,000. So the number of listed companies is dropping. Also, it's become a lot more of a pain list publicly because then you have shareholders and they tend to be very vocal and when you have ESG, environmental, social and governance issues, uh, they're showing up at meetings, they're giving you a hard time about uh, the structure of your board, your pay, um, your, your views on the environment, your activities that you're doing on the environment. So you become part of the social agenda by being public. So many companies, frankly, have opted to remain private. So you put all these things together, and there's limited supply and more cash, and it pushes the supply that is here to higher levels. Okay, and a uh, gentleman who I know is a regular listener, James, sends us a question about Fortis. Holds some uh, Fortis in his TFSA and wondering if it's a good time to add some at current share prices. Well, Fortis is around $52, low for the year, 42 high 60 so it's almost in the center of its trading range. It's not cheap. It's 19 times earnings, but does have a dividend of 4%. And it's one of those companies that is distinguished by the fact that it's got a long history of raising its dividend. In fact, it's raised its dividend for over 40 years in a row. So Fortis is a company I've owned for years and years. And typically what I do is I started with a position. And every time it gets a little cheaper, I've just been chipping away and adding to that position. And that's what I would suggest you do. 19 times earnings isn't particularly cheap, but it'll give you a position. And once you've got that position, I expect to hold this thing. If you're a long-term investor like I am, expect to hold it over the next 10 or 15 years and just continue to add to it every time it gets a little weaker. And it is a utility, which, as we have documented many times on Making Money, we're big fans of. <laughs> it's certainly a Canadian utility. They've got property and companies they own in the Caribbean. They also own uh, electrical generating facilities in New York and have a position in Arizona as well. So they're well diversified. So there you go. And remember, if you have a question for us on making money, you can drop it to us at letsmakemoney.ca. That's our website. Or you can also reach us through the cfcw.com portal. Send your questions along, and we'll address them in upcoming episodes. Next week, when we're back, Ron, we're going to tackle a question which is a big problem for a lot of people, and that's debt and how to deal with it, right? Yes. We will join you again next week. Make sure you check us out again, letsmakemoney.ca. All of our podcasts are indexed there, and you can reach them on Google Play and other, other platforms. Stay in touch with us, and we love to hear from you. On behalf of the financial coach, Ron Hebert, I'm Gord Whitehead. Thanks for joining us. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. 
Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.